Hello, welcome back to the Pit Stop Podcast. I am Jordan Tyler Coleman. I am joined by Tyler Walzak. Tyler, uh, before we get to Formula One, uh, we're just going to do a quick little moment here to acknowledge that we are sponsored by Running Down the Clock, your other show on the Ordinary Podcasting Network. We're already in week two. We're through week two of the NFL schedule already. I mean, it's almost done. We're almost already at the playoffs. Like, what the hell? It's Nope, I've already had that uh, argument with my girlfriend who lives with me. She thinks the season's over soon. And I'm like, you've got 16 more weeks of this. Four more months. So we're two weeks in, you know, you've had some highs, you've had some lows. How are we doing, though? Is this like a wellness check for you? Because the last time we spoke, the season hadn't started yet. No, I'm good. I'm in a happy place. All right, good. That's what we want to hear. <laughs> you know you know who else uh, could be in a happy place come Thursday? Anybody who tries to find your podcast out there, anywhere they find their podcast, Running Down the Clock is available everywhere you get your podcasts. You can find out more about it at OrdinaryPodcasts.com. Okay. That's out of the way, Tyler. It's time to talk Formula One, and we have a very um, interesting show, I think, ahead of us here because there's some new storylines and some new things happening. And it was a pretty interesting weekend. We'll we'll do a you know a a, a little more detailed uh, analysis of how I, either of us felt the weekend went, and we can grade it and do whatever else. But let's start it off this way: we have made it very clear on this show from the very beginning that. We are not going to talk about Max Verstappen as long as he is doing well. But there is actually some fun Max Verstappen conversation to be had this weekend because he did not do well. Uh, and that is definitely something we're going to dig into. We had a exciting race in Singapore. We had a very dramatic qualifying that had some fun storylines attached to it. We had a very big crash. And in fact, Lance Stroll was unable to actually race following that crash. Um, but where do you want to start with qualifying for you? What were the biggest storylines, obviously, before you know, we even got well, to the, the Grand Prix itself. Kind of break down in the way things happen. So obviously Lance Stroll crashed at the end of Q1, brought out the red flag and coming out of the pits, no one would no one would be able to get around again to start a flying lap. Now looking at um the standings after Q1, it was Sonoda and then Lawson, Hulkenberg, Magnuson as the top five. And I know that like, yeah, yeah, not everybody else got to be able to go around and, and finish their, their flying laps. But Russell did, George Russell did finish his last flying lap and he was not able to crack the top five or ahead of any of, uh, of Sonoda Lawson or Hulkenberg Magnuson, which was, I thought, super awesome to see and made me think that Sonoda was going to have a great weekend and that maybe we were going to see some things get mixed up here. And I know that, again, it's just Q1 and blah, 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 and that stuff happens and it's just everyone... If anyone, everybody else had been able to go through that last flying lap in Q1, they probably would have knocked a lot of these guys down. But Russell wasn't able to do it, and he was the only kind of um, like person we could correlate these times with, which I thought was very interesting. Um, but then obviously Stroll goes in, brings up the red flag. It did save Gasly from a Q1 exit because he was his lap came in before, right. He was the last person to come across the finish line before Stroll hit the wall. And he was like P12 or something like he wouldn't have made it through Q1. So it kind of saved his qualifying. But other than that, Lance Strolls, I think we should talk about him a little bit more in this segment or later in this episode. Well, let's do it now then. We're on him. I don't know why he's still going to be in a car next year. And I know you know that it's, it's his father that owns the team, his father that runs the team but the fact that they weren't able or didn't want to bring his car back for the race is kind of a problematic situation he's I, he's now yeah. losing money more than he is trying to make his son's dreams come true and then you combine that with like the tennis aspirations and his actual ability to drive the car there's no reason like unless he's hurt which i hope he's not and i hope i wish him all the best after that and it did look bad but Usually your team is able to fix the car overnight to get you back on there. Start P20. He wasn't there. So this is my question. Uh, and maybe you found out more about this than I did, but I dug a little bit. I mean, it seems to me like there were two different decisions to be made. One was his health and well-being, And obviously I think at the end of the day, he didn't, he didn't participate because I think he was suffering from a concussion. If you watch that crash back at real time, his head was like a ping ping pong ball inside of a, like a metal tube. He was just being shot around. It could not have felt good. He was lucky to walk away. I think conscious, but 
so secondly, though, as you as you say, look, we've seen some big, you know, crashes in qualifying and teams bounce back. And yeah, they pull all nighters and it's a hard thing to do, but they do it. And I was surprised that we didn't have a similar situation to what we had with Ricardo a couple of weeks ago, where you just have the reserve driver get in there. Isn't that the whole point of having a reserve driver so that the second car is still on the grid and you're still able to compete for points, especially as you say, with, with Aston Martin, who's in a position here to, you know, improve on the way that they finished last season. They're still competing for the mid table. They're still competing for best of the rest. There's still a lot to be played for financially. I'm surprised. I don't, I mean, I, I would have thought that if, unless there was a, unless there's something else we don't know about in terms of what it would have taken to get a car on the road. I mean, in that situation, obviously the car's totaled, but they have all the parts to put another car together. And it isn't like you mm-hmm. can, you can take the penalties you have to take. You are already going to finish like start back at the grid. It's not like building a new car other than the financial cost of it is really that much of an impediment. And again, as I say, every other team I've ever seen in this situation has at least tried unless maybe the driver was like so severely hurt that they felt it would be inappropriate to like to do it. But in this case, he got out and technically walked away. It was later that it kind of became clear that he was going to be unfit to drive. So I don't know. It's a very, I agree with you. There's, there's smoke there. I just don't know yet what, what what the fire is. And it feels like we're having a very slow drawn out process here of the end of whatever this is supposed to be here with Lance Stroll. Well, here's the thing is maybe, and I, again, this is nothing based off anything, but they're one of their Jackster. reserve drivers at Aston Martin is uh, Felipe Drogovic, yeah. who's been in talks of like around the rumor mill in the paddocks of taking a spot from a team next year. Yeah. Now, the only reason I can think that they didn't want to put him in the car is because what if he finishes in the points? If he's out there in his first ever race and he has a car that compete and we can see, we saw that Alonzo was able to compete until that one flaw in the race we'll get to. But if Drogovic comes out and does very, 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 very well, doesn't everybody, the fans, um, everybody else at Aston Martin kind of say, hey, like, the guys that work in the car no longer believe in Lance Stroll. So therefore they're not going to work as hard. The reserve drivers are never going to go to Aston Martin because they're never going to get the spot that Lance Stroll sits in. Um, the His teammate is going to be like, we're never going to win at constructors because we have, we don't have a secondary driver. So, okay, so everybody's, everybody's morale goes down. So full disclosure here you and i went into this conversation a little bit blindly because i think both of us were just curious i just decided to google right just while we're here because i was like uh, this like i said this something smells fishy here's the actual explanation as to why they did not run a second driver it was strictly rules based so felipe drogovic as you mentioned has not had a practice yet in a formula one car and the rules state that for a driver to take part in a any grand prix they have to have at least completed one lap of a practice or qualifying session previously. So in Lawson's case, he had already done test test days, practice days for Alpha Tori. Therefore, he was qualified to do that. So that's the challenge. They literally just did not have an available person. I think that's why we've also seen in the past situations like I guess last year when Albon had his appendicitis, where they had to go outside of their own team to the reserve driver of another team to get a guy that was qualified to be in that car. Right. And, and right. they did that with, um, with uh, DeVries last year. So I think that's that clearly that's why it is odd though, that again, as you say, like they, there's somebody in the paddock who's got those miles. They could have gone if it had mattered enough to them and signed somebody for the day. Clearly they weren't able to do it with their own reserve drivers. It also shows you perhaps a bit of, like a, a a a bit of maybe a red flag for these teams to ensure that their reserve drivers get those practice sessions early enough in the season if it's going to matter. But it's interesting. Well, they clearly didn't mind, do everything they could. <laughs> but, but that's a bigger problem because at the beginning of this year, we did not know if Lance Stroll was going to be able to compete because he broke his wrists. Yeah, that's right. Or his arm or something. His so wrist, yeah. if if his wrist was broken or if he was hurt at all to start the season, don't you think you would have already yeah. had a a plan? Yeah. In case he had to miss maybe the second race or after the first race, he was just like, you know what? I couldn't do the full race. 
get somebody for next week. Like, well, didn't somebody take? Think they would have taken that, that in, for him earlier in the year. Like, didn't he miss? That's the what race? I mean. Is like that. That's not an acceptable excuse. I, I, and this program, I will speak for you now, does not accept that as an excuse. Fair enough. There should be twenty cars out there, and you should, every team should have two. And if your team doesn't have two, then something, unless that car got totally destroyed, which I've seen cars like the one that Lance Stroll crashed in get repaired the night before. So yeah, well, I mean, we saw no Haas do it last year at Monaco. Exactly. After yeah, it happened this year again too, probably with Stroll. But there's no reason that they should not have had a second car out there, and there's no reason Stroll should be in a car next year. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe if his psyche is messed up after this. He'll decide to walk away instead of instead of having to be told to walk away. All right, let's get to the rest of qualifying. So following that, uh, we got into a dramatic uh, Q2 all all weekend long through all the practices. It was clear that something wasn't working for Red Bull, mm-hmm. and it gave you just that little glimmer of hope that maybe they weren't going to figure it out. It looked for a moment like they were, and then it clearly clearly they were not. It was a disaster. It was a mess for them out there. It was like watching a car on ice. They could not get it trimmed. They could not get it hooked up. They couldn't get it to do what they needed it to do. We had a very angry and a very sour Max Verstappen on the radio just constantly complaining about the upshifting and the downshifting, and things weren't doing what they needed to do. We got one of those classic back and forths with his uh, um, race director that we've had multiple times this year, uh, or his race engineer. Yep. And it was just, you knew something wasn't going to work for them. It just wasn't feeling right. Perez was struggling too. And then we had the first real failure of Red Bull that we've had all season long, frankly, back to halfway through last season. They failed to get through Q2. And all of a sudden, we're looking at a Q3 that is clear of the Red Bulls. And it was, it was beautiful, but it was also kind of shocking, to be honest. I knew they would be bad, but I kind of thought they were, would at least like, make it interesting. I, I thought maybe he would miss out on pole or something like that. I did not expect him to just not even get there. Yeah. I thought it was going to be one of those things where, cause I think it was just Liam Lawson that knocked him out. was the last driver to come yeah. through and, and actually knocked out uh, Verstappen. And I thought it was going to be one of those things where he squeaks into Q3 and then eventually takes over pole or gets top, at least in the front line, top three, yeah, um, top two. And uh, didn't happen. And then when he didn't get through there, he also impeded Sunata. He went yeah. and he stopped at the green light exiting the pit. Like they left this qualifying at the end thinking that there's going to be penalties for Verstappen. And he wasn't hit with any of them, which I found so, odd. Let's talk but about I that get, in a second. We'll come back yeah. to that because there's something on that one too. But yeah. So then he, well, I'll say just Verstappen after this, we saw Verstappen as he was three years ago where he just got up out of his car walked out of the paddock, walked out onto the, and just got into his trailer and didn't want to talk to anybody. It's like, I want to deal with it. And that's what I said this two races ago or three episodes ago or something like that. You did. If things start going sour, that relationship will start going south. Yeah. Cause we're dealing with a child. Yeah. We're dealing with a, a little man boy who can't, who just cannot handle adversity, cannot handle the, the, the struggle of it. And is now at this place where he expects to win every day. And for the most part, they've been able to, to accomplish that. So why wouldn't he expect that? But at the same time, it shows you sort of where he is uh, mentally in terms of how he responds to adversity. And it's not a great place to be. Um, He's never really had it. He's never really had adversity. He was given a championship. His first championship yep. was given to him. His first seat in the Red Bull was given to him when they got rid of Ricardo and Ricardo left. Like he's never had to get himself into the position that he's in until this year when it's just a, a that overtake um, of Hamilton for the championship that he did not des- that Verstappen did not deserve. Basically, got that car into the next stage where Verstappen didn't have to deal with adversity anymore and just had to race. And he yeah. said to win and do whatever the car allowed him to do. He's yeah. never really had to, he's never really had to deal with adversity. Totally. So the other piece of that, as I said, as you mentioned, and, and I wanted to elaborate on uh, was this lack of discipline or lack of, of uh, follow through in terms of the stewards on this impeding thing. So I don't know if you saw or heard about this later, but apparently when they had called both teams in, as they usually do post to sort of like plead their arguments in one of those situations, Alpha Tori chose not to arrive. They just didn't contest it. Of course. Of course. Because yeah, everybody knows that Red Bull's sister team. Like, yeah. So had it been anybody else, perhaps we would have had a bit of a, a bit more of an actual like 
put up or shut up situation for Red Bull, but they just, they walked away because nobody was actually there to defend themselves. So it was ridiculous. That is also Alvatore not showing up is another perfect example of him never having to deal with adversity because that's very easy for the FIA and even Red Bull to be like, penalize them. Like this isn't going to be our weekend. We can deal with not winning one race. That's fine. But nope, they just, let's just get our sisters, our sister um, and brother, whatever they want to call the other car um, and team. Don't show up. We're still, we don't want to deal with this. But it meant that we had a qualifying one that, or qualifying three, I should say, where we really did have some fun in terms of knowing that we were going to have somebody other than Max up at the front. And it was going to be a question who it was, but those Ferraris were hooked up and they were fast. Uh, the Mercedes struggled a little bit to get the pace they'd had earlier in the weekend, but it, it looked like what I have seen recently as again, someone who, you know, follows that team more, more closely. Uh, they have often this season, not quite got that qualifying pace, but you kind of can see when they're out there doing it. It's like, Oh, these guys are actually going to be pretty good in, in, race conditions uh, because the car is doing what they wanted to do. For some reason, they just can't hook it up on these qualifying laps. Russell though had a fantastic qualifying lap and was able to put it on P2, but it was like, as you say, it was just not quite there. And we're going to talk a lot about Carlos Sainz when we get to the Grand Prix. I know that, but yeah, give Carlos Sainz full credit too. He had a phenomenal qualifying, found a great lap there, put it in there. And, it, and, and I think we talked about this last week, but like, I, I would be buying Carlos Sainz stock at Ferrari. This is a guy who is very quickly making a case for being their number one driver. He had a very slow start to his career there, but since then he's become Mr. Consistent. He has become Mr. Confident and he has this swagger about him that Charles Leclerc does not have. Let's talk about Sainz of Ferrari because I agree with you. I think that Sainz is right now their one, a driver, their one driver, their main driver. And if, Everything's been talked about of them, like maybe keeping one guy and going in a different direction. Signs is your guy. And I don't see anything that says that Leclerc is going to take that back from him this year in terms of like, just when we do talk about the Grand Prix, like signs was special on Sunday or Saturday night, whatever you want to call it. He was special. Um, and we'll, we'll get to it when we, when we get into the race, but you're not wrong. Like at this point, you can't get rid of signs. Leclerc, if you're getting rid of somebody, it's Leclerc. You cannot get rid of Carlos Sainz. Well, let's get to the race then, because I think we've covered qualifying pretty well. I mean, unless yeah. there's anything else you want to deal with there. But yeah. the Grand Prix set us up, as I said, for an interesting grid. We knew that we were going to have some Red Bulls charging from the back, but they clearly didn't have the, the cars to do it. Right from the very beginning, though, it's fun to look down the grid because we knew this was going to be, for most teams, a one-stopper. The the The... Whether the way that this track is laid out, the way that these tires have been performing, it was set up in such a way that we expected most teams to go medium hard all the way through. But we saw the Red Bulls, obviously, with nothing to lose, through on the hards to start, and their hope was to be able to gain some track position with that. So that was, you know, there was, there was, we were set up for at least some interesting grid shuffling at some point. The other piece that was really important to the whole story of those pit stops was the fact that there was one team that had made a decision weeks ago when they made their tire allotments for this race that had a wrinkle in it. That was Mercedes who had decided to bring one additional set of the mediums, brand new set of mediums they hadn't used in qualifying. So they had this weird sort of strategic window that was available to them. And I think that the guys, at least on the sky sports broadcast, we watch here in Canada did a pretty good job trying to clarify how it was going to work. Right. They knew they were going to start on the mediums like everybody else. They were going to try to push those mediums as far as they could. They were going to go to the hards, but there was an opportunity to go back to the mediums if there was a safety car or if there was some weird situation. But it was like a three to four lap window where if they got them in there, they probably would be useful. If they didn't get them in, they weren't. It was it was kind of there. And most to be fair, it seemed like most people were kind of like, yeah, this is a kind of like an impossible gamble for them to actually be able to cash in and make work. But cool. Good try. Let's see what happens. The beginning of this race was so hilarious compared to a lot of the stuff we've seen so far this year in terms of the pace and the and sort of the procession element. We know this is a street circuit that is hard to pass on in certain ways. And, mm -hmm. and we had signs get out to a good start. We had that incident with Hamilton where he went off. I don't know if you really want to talk about that, but he had to give back those two spots. But like six or seven laps in, we were like, okay, we're going to stay in this order. But what was cool was without having that Max Verstappen rocket ship we've had most years or most of the races this season where some guy just takes off, our front was bunched up. 
our midfield was bunched up. And even the guys at the back were bunched up. We had like at one point, I think like 10 or 15 laps in, we were still looking at like only a, a matter of about 10 to 20 seconds between the front of the pack and the back of the pack, which meant that there was still space for guys to to make things happen. But then we got to that pit window and nobody wanted to be number one because they knew it was going to screw everything up. So then it was a game of attrition. It was literally a race to see whose tires would go first. For me, we we talk all the time on the show about like high event. This was incredibly yeah. low event, but incredibly interesting. It, uh, yeah. So you could say it's a tale of two races. There was the race up until about lap 40. And then there was lap 40 to the finish in 62. Like, cause you're not wrong. And, Everyone was, it was tire management, but at the same time, it was Russell following signs. And all he kept saying was like, I can't pass him. I can try to pass him, but he has two seconds on me that he's not using. Yeah. He's literally just staying in front of yeah. me, almost teasing me. Him. It's like yeah, dangling 100%. a carrot in front 100%. of like a rabbit. It's, and it was at first the most boring thing in the world. It's like, oh, this is like, like the fact that nobody can do anything, even though they're trying to, is kind of uneventful until the end when that strategy was the most exciting part of this yeah. season. Yeah. And it was brilliant. Yeah. Before we get there, let's just, let's just go through the, course, the yeah. other kind of key pieces. That's okay. No, we got to keep our audience. Keep, to the keep very the audience end. with yeah. us. So <laughs> there isn't, there, there was an odd moment in this race um, prior to the, the actual safety car where everything kind of got set in motion before that though we had our first dnf which was yuki sonoda like right on like lap two he had a puncture he, i think he had contact with perez i can't remember now if it was perez or somebody else it was it was a red bull for sure I don't yeah know so it was perez. perez but again what can he do about it puncture though but he goes off the runoff area and literally drove off the track like just clean yeah. off the track which is great from the perspective that it didn't impede anybody but at the same time it was kind of like why not just try to get around? You've got a puncture. The car's still on the track. Why not just get it back to the pits and put on a new pair of boots and, you know, try do something here. It was like, he just, the, the first moment of like his first instinct was nah, I'm done. And it was weird. It was very odd to me considering all of the rumblings and all of the noise we've heard in the last couple of weeks about like mm -hmm. his future, whether he's going to join Red Bull as a reserve driver and not be a starting driver, like what the future holds for Yuki Sonoda and your first, moment of like show us something here it was like no, i'm good i'm out well that's i'm gonna i got that in my notes here too because i do want to talk about that and i want to bring in another driver who had a great race his first points in f1 came on the first time in this track um in this race liam lawson do not be surprised if because of everything that's happening with sonoda and the way he talks to his team and kind of his mental ability to be in a in a car at this stage don't be surprised if it's ricardo and liam lawson and alpha Torres next year i do not see sonata if especially because of i thought this exact same thing that you did was just a puncture put him out like why couldn't it wasn't a flat tire either like he could have gotten around now they said that at the end of the race um that it was more, more structural damage but he doesn't know that yeah, he, it looked he like just, he made he, the decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was looked, a very odd choice. Even on the radio, they said, "What's going on?" He's like, "Ah, cars all messed up." But you don't, yeah. you don't know that. Like, get to the pits, see if they can fix see it, and move on. That's your job. <laughs> yeah. So well, I, I think that's his last. That's his last straw for holding yeah. on to his seat next year. Yeah. No, especially I, with Liam Lawson. Very strange. Liam Lawson seems like he deserves to be in a car, and yeah, he's found himself, ironically, like right situation at the right time. So in contrast to that, let's talk about Logan Sargent. So Logan Sargent has an off. He breaks up that front wing pretty bad. And then he drags it back to the pits, leaving shrapnel everywhere, like <laughs> everywhere. And gets it in there, gets a new wing on. They still send him out. But it was like, oh, I'm not sure that was the right call in that right in that moment. Considering Finished P14. Fine. But it caused a safety car that changed everything. That, that's uh, so not was, he, but the exact but, opposite mentality. Get you're me right. in this race. You're right. Keep me in this race. You're right. The only piece that I would pu push back on is it's like at that point, you're literally carrying like weaponry. The, the way that that had that rest of that wing come off and just picked up like it's that was a very dangerous situation to be in. Now, as you say, where do we want? What do we want? We want guys to like fight through and still make it work. Or do we want, you know, I don't know. It, it, that's a question I'm not necessarily saying we need to His answer. team. 
his director, his engineer, the FIA all could have got on the radio and said, stop driving the car. Yep. But and this is what you want your driver. Until you tell me to stop driving this car, I'm, you best yeah, believe I'm going to get my ass that's in fair. that pit so that our guys can do the job that they've been wanting to do all weekend. So, no, that's great. I love seeing it. All right. So we'll, we will. My favorite dir- part of the race, George. Yeah. We're, we're <laughs> going to direct our listeners to the merch store at, uh, on our website where we're going to have new Tyler Walzak, a sergeant for president shirts. And t- <laughs> Tyler is the new president of the sergeant fan club. Hey, uh, who would you rather have? Sonata that stops after a puncture that he doesn't know what the damage is, or Sergeant who says, I don't, I know there's a bunch of things I'm driving on top of, but I do not want to retire from this race. Who would you want as your driver? Fine. Point is, it led to the first turning point of this race, which was that we had a safety car, but we had a safety car. And again, one of those like awkward moments where they weren't quite teams weren't quite sure how to respond to it and whether they should, you know, dive into the pits or not. Now, the during that lap 20, the first um, safety car that you talked about, Ferrari did a double stack. Did not work. Did not work. Yeah, that's true. But that had nothing to do with Ferrari's like decision making or their strategy it was just that they just so happened that as leclerc was trying to leave somebody was coming by and they had to hold him in so just yeah he got copy on bad luck yeah, yeah, yeah. right idea but yeah. then you're right so mercedes does this and a key thing that we're, everyone's kind of like i guess not everyone but like i i feel like we get glossed over is alonso also came in yep served his five second penalty which he still probably would have been able to catch up to the Mercedes and then go past all the cars that the Mercedes passed. But his wheel got stuck on the left rear or the right rear. Um, and he, his whole pit was 25 seconds altogether. Yeah. Puts him at the back and it was just end of the, the day. end of his race. Yeah. We got out of that. We had this mismatch of like, now what does Mercedes do? Because they've kind of put themselves in a bad spot after the pit. They dropped out of the top four. They were stuck kind of, I think they were at five and six, but they knew they had, you know, distance to still go. And all of a sudden what they teased off the top was, well, they got these other tires. There's a, there's a window, there's a window coming. Um, and, and so then obviously, as you say, that was the next big turning point when Mercedes gets that opportunity to get in there, they double stack under the, the virtual safety car. They, because they'd also built this weird gap, as you say, science had done a really smart thing all race to try to like keep the pack together, knowing that he wasn't going to be able to defend. I don't think he anticipated the Mercedes tire change, but for the most part, they'd set themselves up. So Mercedes does the tire change. And then we have a race because now we're watching seconds. Like, two, three second a lap increases as both Mercedes in like unison come roaring back. It was so cool seeing the top guys stay out. And then it was almost like watching like Star Wars or something where Mercedes was just like, get our two best, the two guys that we never let fly because they are dangerous. Put them in the most expensive, like diabolical flight jet we have and go get those guys. It yeah. was it was like almost like just release the dogs. We don't yeah. care what the penalty is. We don't care how much they screw these guys over or like yeah. like fight down on them or barrel down on them like go get it. It was very very cool. And, and it was, that was the beginning of the the best part of this race. It was two laps too late because it they they were in a position at the end of that race to I mean they caught the leaders. They literally were in a dog fight with Lando and with there's another Star Wars reference for you, Lando and with Carlos at the end of this race. And then we get the real like masterpiece from Carlos Sainz, who does one of the most like it. it here's here's why, again, I would Genius. buy Carlos Sainz stock. He understood even more so than the like 50 guys sitting at the freaking computers running simulations he understood the exact nuance of where and when to push and when to 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 hold up when he needed to give uh lando a boost get literally drop back to get him his drs to protect and defend it was like the two of them were one car they had they had yeah. designed it in such a, a way that they, it's like were, they a were a team and yeah. ironically for Mercedes and, and, you know, there's lots that you, you could dissect into the nuance of this too, but the truth is they got, they got tired. They literally just got frustrated and 
George makes a mistake. He made the same mistake Lando had made a moment earlier because Lando touches that wall. And I think George was following Lando so tightly following that line that I think he wouldn't have hit that wall had Norris not hit the wall. Like he literally was just, it was like when you parallel park and you just trust those other two cars aren't up on the curb. You're not actually watching. You're just following the lines on in in your sight. And that's where he was at. He was so focused on the tail fin that he just miscalculated puts it in the wall and Lewis was already starting to get a little bit punchy. Cause it was like, all right, if he's not going to do it, I want to do it. Yeah. He was, he was more, let me, let me be more aggressive. Yeah. Uh, and it, and it opened the door and Lewis gets rewarded for his patience. Good for him. He deserved it. He had a fantastic race, uh, started behind George and finishes on the podium. So give him credit for that. But you have to feel for George Russell because he did such an amazing job getting both those Mercedes back up in that position. Some fantastic overtakes again on a track historically not easy to overtake. Although I would say if there's been a, if there, if there has been a, um, a track more clearly suited for this new regulations and these guys being able to follow closely, I don't know what it is because Singapore used to be painful in terms of overtaking. And we had lots of overtakes this race from a lot of different guys. And that shows you at least that they can do that. Right. So, yeah, especially after that uh, safety car and like lap 20, it was the next five to 10 laps was just guys overtaking other guys. But, and also um, how satisfying is it to have the entire field pass Max Verstappen? Like literally every one of those top guys he's had fights with all year and has just smoked past. They had an opportunity to just come back on him once that tire chance. Like that was so satisfying. Yeah. I was pretty excited about that. I'm not going to lie. Um, but (laughs) Listen, here's the thing with science, and a lot of people, yes, Leclerc, maybe with like pure instinct and like God given talent, for lack of better words, it might be a better driver. This is not the first time that Carlos Science has proven that he is smarter than the garage and the, the pit directors and yeah. the engineers. He's done, he's made so many decisions with Ferrari the last three years where. He's been like, I'm not boxing. This is what we're going to do. I'm not boxing. This is what we're going to do. And they push back on him. And he's like, and then he ends up being right. Um, yeah. Where they remember when they asked him to uh, fall back so that Leclerc could fall back 10 paces so that Leclerc could win the race. And he was like, no, we're both going to lose if I do that. That is yeah. so stupid. And he goes out and he wins the race. Like he has saved Ferrari so many times just using his knowledge and his like cunningness for strategy. Um, that is is the main reason why I think that like when I said earlier, like they have to keep him around because he's better than the Claire, like the Claire might be a better driver, natural skill. Sure. But that's not all it is. And you know, that's not all it is. When you look at Alonzo, Alonzo's the smartest guy out there probably. Um, and it's like, you could argue Alonzo, then maybe Lewis Hamilton, but Alonzo shows it all the time with like, Hey, this is what we're doing right now. And he speaks it on the radio where Lewis kind of keeps to himself or uses lingo or like, um, code words which is cooler um but this is that's science that's who science is as well so when he was letting him stay within drs because he said like they're gonna have to fight him off first and if they easily overpass him they're gonna easily overpass us it was brilliant brilliant i loved every second of it um i was wide open eyes wise like eyes wide open the entire time not blinking just watching and listening to how cool that was it was fantastic. It was and Russell, yeah, I felt horrible for him when he went into the wall. I felt horrible for Russell when he went into the wall, but listening to the radio after, he knew it was. He, he even said like that. That was a fucking rookie mistake. That was a rookie mistake. And, but he wanted it bad. I mean, that's the good thing is like you can see how badly all those guys in the top four wanted to win. Yep, it was definitely one of those races where you know one guy won it. He did everything he had to do to win it. But all of those, all three guys on the podium deserve to be there for their own reasons. Tough way for it to finish for George Russell, tough way for Mercedes to have it finished considering they were set up for a fantastic points haul. Um, uh, especially considering they were both, pa- they had both passed Leclerc and that's who they're fighting in, in terms of the Ferrari. But it was a uh, overall, I mean, I felt satisfied by the result of it and it was sweet, sweet music to not have Max Verstappen anywhere near that podium. God, I hate that oh, Austrian yeah. ground, that Austrian national anthem. Nothing against Austrians, but or is it? I don't think this is Dutch, the Dutch Grand Prix. I don't even know where he's from. It's horrible. He's really from Belgium. He was born in the, he was born in the Netherlands and I think he grew up in Austria. No offense to Austria. Then I, I, I love your national anthem. Um, all right. I'm going to, I'm going to get you out of this. I don't think that this is the last race that signs wins this year. What is the Austrian national anthem? Is it Edelweiss or is that just from the sound of music? 
I don't think this is the last race Carlos Sainz wins this No, year. I agree. I agree. I mean, look, I've already he is bought not stock. Going away. He's I'm not fully going invested away. in Carlos Sainz. I think Carlos Sainz is the future for Ferrari. I've said he that. Might, he might be the hero we all need. Uh, right you, can, you can lead the sergeant uh, fanboy club. I'll, I'll lead no, the sergeant fanboy club. You're way more pumping up of Sainz than I, than I am sergeant. All right. You can be the deputy, vice president of the club. I do think that Williams would be smart to keep sergeant around them. And they probably will. All right, let's hand out some hardware. Driver of the day. <laughs> Do we need to discuss it? Yeah, it's Carlos Sainz. Man who won the race. Yeah, easy. Uh, not so driver of the day. Yuki Sonoda. <laughs> Didn't even yeah. want to be there. I, it's, I mean, yeah. You can't <laughs> give it to Stroll because he didn't run a lap. I know. I know. Sonoda hasn't finished a lap in two races. I know. I agree. I agree. Uh, if two there was a... Races. If there was a an award, which we don't have, but maybe we should institute a new award where it's like the best of the rest, not bet driver of the day, but best of the rest. It's Liam Lawson for me, at least. I, I think he gets honorable mention for having a great, like you say, in, in two races, he has demonstrated that he should have a seat over several other guys who have had seats for multiple years. Like that he says a lot. A, he should have the current teammate he raced this race with. Yeah. He exactly. should have some seat. And he might. Norris and deserves some credit here too. What sure. Lando did is was not an easy task. No, and he he was he was more uh in the direct line of fire from the the Mercs. Uh signs at least had that buffer because Norris was that buffer. Yeah. Uh, but he did, you know, he did everything he could to defend it. There I was thought the Russell one was... dive on Russell had on him that he defended flawlessly and that was that was the race. Yeah. I thought Russell was going to get him and it would signs was still going to win and Russell would just run out of time, but um no, Norris was great. That was great drive. Uh overtake of the day. For me, it goes to George Russell on Leclerc because I think that that was the key piece. They had to Lap get both 54. those cars. Yeah, they had to get both cars past there to make this what it ended up being, and that was a great overtake. So I would give yep. him that. You agree with me? I completely agree with you. It's in here in bold letters on my computer. In bold letters. <laughs> Very good. And George and Russell. to be fair, again, like if I think if you were throwing like second ballot votes for driver of the day, like George had a great race. You can't take that away. He had a mistake. You can't make that mistake. That's the and that that is the thing that prevents it from being there. But he had a great race up to that point. Um, yep. And again, you know what I would say? Like that is also the sign of a guy who's pushing literally right to the limit because he is trying. He said earlier, like nobody else in that race outside of Carlos Sainz said uh, openly, like, okay, what do I have to do to win this race? I want to win this race. I can see I have an yes. opportunity to win this race. I want to win this race. That was the mindset from from you know like lap four. Which is great. His mindset, his his drive to be great is not the problem yeah. with George Russell. Yeah. He he's going to be great. It's just a that was a bad decision. Yeah, it was. Uh and our radio call of the race. Who you got? I have, and again, I'm gonna pump the tires of Carlos Sainz when they said he says, I need to know the gap between me and Norris every lap from here on out. I think there was like 10 laps left. Yeah. And the guy comes on uh, whoever it is, I don't know his name comes up and says, uh, Norris is 0.8 behind you, and he has DRS. And Sainz says, yeah, it's on purpose. And he, that is, he plays his hand. Unbelievable. He told everybody, oh, by the way, we're doing this is by design. I am yeah. not just letting him catch me. Brilliant. It's yeah. the smartest. The, oh, the yeah. only other one I had, which is an honorable mention, I think what you have is the correct one as well. But the other one was the one earlier in the race where George Russell was informed. Uh, the quote was signs reports having another second of race pace in hand. And Russell responded, yeah. I'm surprised he didn't say two seconds. <laughs> that was a good one, too. That's he knew he was second. not yeah. going to catch him because of that. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, no, fantastic. Uh, any final thoughts here before we leave uh, Singapore? It's it's very I, I love the reactions I'm seeing about this race, but it's it's very much was a last like quarter of the race excitement. Everyone gets kind of lost up on what happened at the end, but just remember that the very, like the first half of this race wasn't great, but it's no different than like a football game that just happens to have a fantastic finish. Like sports sometimes has that for you, I right? Know, like sometimes but... the big play, you yep. know, chicks dig the long ball. Like sometimes the home run walk off is all people want to hear about. And that's what this was. This was a sprint to the finish. It was not, you know, a, sp- a sprint to the first, 40 laps. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I, okay. I love it though. I love that we have our first winner. That's not in a Red Bull. I love everything Thank about God this is that. better for the sport. Like if, if they could have more diversity in terms of like teams winning, um, it would be great for it. Yeah. For be sure. Great for the F1. Yeah. Yeah. Our global nightmare is over. Red Bull's back in its proper place. 
irrelevancy. Let's leave it there. Hey, football fans. The Ordinary Podcasting Network is very excited to welcome back for its second season, Running Down the Clock, presented by Puya Ricey and Tyler Walzak. These two football fans will sit down with you every Thursday of the NFL schedule to talk football. You can subscribe to Running Down the Clock anywhere you get your podcast. It's time for mail. Okay, Tyler. So for um, mailbox of the day, we have uh, a question that's kind of actually kind of current because it's been it's 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 been kind of percolating here recently in F1 news, and it pertains to Singapore, ironically. Um, uh, Jessica asked uh, about two weeks ago um, what we thought the outcome of the uh, Philippe Massa um, lawsuit would be and if we thought it would have an impact on Hamilton and Max's 2021 uh, results. So let me give you the context for those who don't know what I'm talking about. His lawsuit pertains obviously to the 2008 Singapore Grand Prix when he was taken out of the race deliberately by uh, Nelson Piquet Jr., uh, and his Renault, I think they went out like in the 14 or something lap of the 61 laps. And it meant that it opened the door for Lewis to get enough points to win um, the driver's championship. And it up until the Max Lewis thing was considered one of the more like controversial finishes. Right. He's now gone to court and sued the FIA for the results of that race, basically saying he was robbed of a world championship. Now, this is like over a decade later, almost uh, over a decade later, I should say 2008 and it's being litigated in court. So it, it came back up into the news because both helmet Marco and Toto Wolf were asked questions and responded to questions concerning this Toto kind of cryptically saying, well, it certainly would be an interesting situation if they were going to strip Lewis Hamilton of one of his championships and it would open a door for him to go and try to get another one. <laughs> he would still be at seven, but he would be at seven for different reasons. Uh, whereas, of course, Hel- Helmet Marco sort of made the argument suggesting that, you know, he didn't think that it was an appropriate way for that to be handled. He has some incentives to it not going that way. The question is this. Theoretically, Massa wins this lawsuit. Let's say they, they post- posthumously here give him the, tr- the championship for 2008. Isn't it then just like an automatic that Lewis Hamilton is in court the next day filing a lawsuit claiming that he was robbed in 2021? Yeah. And that's why like these things really can't kind of happen in, in all of sports. You can't just go back and change kind of history. Like, you're, you're, then you're just going to open up like a can of worms in terms of everything that could have been kind of a cheat or like a misuse of the rules or Something so it's always going to kind of it would it would open up a large door, but here's kind of the way I think about this. Um, Nelson Paquette, Nelson, what's this? What's Nelson Paquette? Paquette Jr. Yeah, Nelson Paquette Jr. So is he the brother of Kelly Paquette or the father of Kelly Paquette? Uh, yeah. Okay. Father. Cool. So um, he is the father of Kelly Paquette. Kelly Paquette, and he was saying that he was. Stolen of he had a, a championship from F1 stolen from him. Kelly Paquette is dating Max Verstappen. Um, who he, had, he's sorry, he's the brother, brother, is, his, uh, yeah, brother. championship. Okay, brother. So had a that family is now dating Max Verstappen, who had a championship given to him, yeah, in the same type of way. So I feel like that just evens out. That's how I'm gonna look at that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's a messy one, right? I, I think you're right though. Like it's impossible to relitigate these situations as shitty as they are. Like there's an opportunity directly following them to be able to challenge it. That's when the opportunity for something to be changed would have been. That obviously did didn't didn't happen in its own ways for both of these situations. It's it's really, really a slippery slope, as you say, because like then every sport would be relitigating every bad call, every missed opportunity. There'd be, you know, all kinds of I mean, like, unfortunately, controversial outcomes are a part of sport. Yeah. We want to mitigate them. We want to do everything we can with modern technology, with, you know, rules and, and, and situations to avoid them. And we want to ensure that the people responsible for them are not, do not continue to be in positions where those kind of controversial decisions can still be made. We have had the outcome here in Formula One where, you know, the final you know, decision maker in that situation lost his job. 
that's probably for the best. We've had umpires lose their job. We've had all those kind of things, but you can't go back and, you know, I mean, 2008 is a long fucking time ago. Like oh, yeah. we're, we're, we're a long time ago and uh, it's messy. So to answer your question, I, what do I think the outcome of this would be? I don't think he's winning the lawsuit. Number one, but no. two, if he does win this lawsuit, I don't think that the FIA is then going to still give him the championship. They may say, look, you know, legally you were robbed of something. Here's some money. Here's some money. Yeah. Make it go away. It's very messy. Uh, it's very awkward and it's very clumsy. It's just ironic that it's Lewis because it's Lewis. So, and again, here's the other thing though, that makes these two things very different. This is now I'm getting into opinion, but I think it's should be pretty clear to anybody who wants to draw a comparison between these two things. Lewis Hamilton did not take him out of that race. Lewis Hamilton had absolutely nothing to do with the controversial part of how this played out. Right. Max Verstappen technically didn't have anything to do with how it played out. Both of in both of these two situations, if you want to make the argument that Massa deserved to win prior to that collision, and I will always make the argument Lewis Hamilton deserved to win on that day, had the rules been governed correctly. In both of those two situations, we would have had different outcomes, but it was about the rules and how those rules were applied. It was not how the driver who ended up benefiting from it did or didn't perform. Max Verstappen did nothing wrong that day. And that's the shittiest part about it. Like he gets a lot of the flack for having been handed a championship, but he was handed a championship by the, yeah. by the people in the control room and made the decision not to follow the correct procedures for a safety car and finish under a flag, which they should have done. They chose not to do that because of all, all the reasons we've litigated. And then the same thing with this masses thing. You could make the argument it was intentional. Can you prove it? I don't even know if they can technically prove that it was an intentional collision. If they've been able to prove that, then yeah, it gets, it gets ugly. It gets messy. It's tricky. But at then at the same time, Lewis gets a championship, not because he did anything wrong, but because something bad happened on the day. Like that's unfortunate, but it is what it is. Anyway, we can leave that one there. I think. Agreed. Well said. I'll, I will also say well said. All right. Let's uh, let's get to our preview here. We are staying uh, in the Asia Pacific region, region uh, heading north a little bit of Singapore. I actually had to look up Singapore. I, I, I couldn't remember if it was a city or a state or a country. It turns out it's all three. It's all it's all. Three. Uh, and, and that was fascinating to me. I found that very interesting and uh, learned a little bit about Singapore from Wikipedia, to be fair. So who knows how accurate it was, but it was interesting. We're going to Japan, a country that is a country <laughs> and more than just a city. And uh, and a very iconic Formula One racetrack that luckily is back on the circuit because it was gone for a couple of years because of COVID. It was. The first time it was raced here was uh, 1987. Uh, this is a 53 lap race, 18 turns. Every driver on the circuit loves this track. There's only one DRS zone. It's the start to finish line. However, the detection zone for the DRS zone is three turns before that. One of those being a chicane, which is a little odd, um, but still uh, kind of cool. Um, legendary high-speed corners here. You got S-curves, Dunlop, Degna curves, and the spoon. This is a flat-out blast, not a lot of heavy braking zones, which means that teams like Williams that didn't do so well in Singapore with their low-drag setup are going to work really well here. High degradation on tires on this track. The C3 compound of tire, which was used in Singapore, um, as a hard tire is going to be used here as a soft tire. So that tells you a little bit about the degradation that they're expecting here. Um, also, McLaren gets fully upgraded both their cars for this weekend. So full upgrades, full fits for both um, Norris and Piastri. That's something to know going into this. Now, last year's race was a two-stop race, but that was because it was raining. It was a wet race. Only 28 laps before the time limit actually hit. Um the forecast is saying it's supposed to be a dry weekend, um, which means it's probably going to be a one-stop with the hard tires. Remember, the hard tires are actually the soft tires and the soft tires, so on and so forth, like I just said. Um, forecast is saying dry weekend, but it's still early. This race is almost famously wet all the time, and uh, it's there's movies about it. Just just watch the movies. Yep. I believe Senna is the most popular one about a wet race here. Um, last year's start, uh, signs hit the barrier on lap one. Albon was out lap two. Drivers couldn't see anything in front of them because of the yeah. rain. It was red flagged on lap two. The race started again on technically lap six, but only 39 minutes were left to compete it. So they, they restarted the race. Everybody was on wet tires. 
Intermediates came out about four minutes later, lap eight, you can call it. Um, Leclerc and Perez had a very great last lap competing for a second here, but the podium was Verstappen, then Perez, then Leclerc. DNFs were just Albon and Sun. That is your preview for the Japanese Grand Prix. One of my favorite parts about this circuit is they've got that underpass where you've got the track actually That's, yeah, it crosses over laps, which is kind of cool. It reminds me of like yeah, a Mario cool. Kart track. Yeah. When you draw out the when you draw out the track um on like a piece of paper or something, it's probably the coolest looking one. It's very it, yeah, it's definitely one of the more unique ones. It definitely has a great profile. And as you say, it's got some iconic uh it's had some iconic moments. Let's hope for some more this weekend. Uh uh and it sets up well for a Red Bull weekend though. Yeah, we know. But here's the thing we didn't talk about really quickly. This new regulation around flexibility and wings and things. Because there's a bit of yeah, a question mark. That conversation is this is going be around to for slow Red Bull down? This is the big test. Because was were they just slow here because of the way the car is set up for this track? You know, here at Singapore? Or is there some more to this? Is there more in terms of these regulations slowing them down? And we'll find out. Because this is the first thousand percent. So we'll see. There's, they've been great at every track. They've had different tracks. They've had different circuits. They've had different down yep. downforce pressures. Like there's something else going on because there's no way they fall off from always winning to where they finish sixth and sixth and what? But there's no way. There's something. Let's something see. else happened. Well, that that just adds a little extra spice to uh, the upcoming race. So thank you, Tyler. Appreciate it. And everybody out there listening to us, we appreciate your listenership. If you haven't already, please smack that subscribe button, share it with a friend, pass it around, and let us know what you think. You can hit us up on Instagram. You can send us a message. You can submit a question. Uh, do all Doing all of those things over at the Ordinary Podcast Network uh, website, which is ordinarypodcasts.com. Until next time, thank you for listening and keep it on the road. Pitstop Podcast is a presentation of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.